All right. So today we have a vice presidential debate. Trump beats COVID and the stimulus bill gets stopped in its track. I'm James O'Hara and this is what's going on in politics today. So uh, let's get right down to it. Uh, Mike Pence looked pretty fly for a white guy in his debate uh, performance that he did last night. So last night's debate is, of course, the big topic of the day. And so I figured I would recap it for you listeners, um, just as I've recapped the other debate, uh, which was quite different. This is definitely a tale of two debates. Uh, the debate that happened, of course, with President Trump, I went over pretty uh, extensively uh, how much of a horrific performance it was, uh, being one of the worst debates I've ever seen, probably. Um, but last night's debate was a f- breath of fresh air as far as debates go. Uh, it went exactly the way you would expect a debate to go uh, for this kind of scale. Of course, it's a vice presidential debate, and with vice presidential debates, usually they aren't given the same kind of coverage that, of course, a presidential uh, debate would have because, um, of course, it's the vice president. They're, they're not the president of the United States, uh, and vice presidents, of course, historically are regulated to um, a you know not-so-big role in the White House as the president, of course, as far as policy goes. But I feel like this debate is different. And let me explain it. So it's been well known that uh, we have two very old candidates that are running for office. In fact, both candidates, whether you're a Trump supporter or whether you're a Biden supporter, both candidates are the oldest candidates to run for office in American history. That's a fact. Uh, Trump was the oldest presidential candidate and oldest uh, president to be elected at 70 years old. When he was elected, he's now 74. And uh, Biden, vice president, former Vice President Biden, he is 78 years old uh, when he takes office, and that will make him officially the oldest president ever elected in American history. So these are definitely concerning things. Um, over the history we've had, we've had concerns about other presidents and their ages, of course, that um, has affected it, uh, going all the way back to William Henry Harrison, who was at the time the oldest president elected. Um, ironically, uh, this is the same week as the William Henry Harrison grew to prominence. Um, there's a story about him, and I'll tell you, maybe I'll, I'll tell you a story in a minute here. So um, both candidates are definitely pretty old, and they are in risk, I would say, for things happening. We saw that this week uh, with President Trump and his COVID diagnosis. We saw how close you can get to um, having some trouble when you're that old. And luckily, uh, President Trump went through it pretty well, and we'll go through that today. Um, But both candidates obviously are at risk that something can happen during their presidency and something that we definitely should be focused on. So the vice president's are important this time around. They're not simply just figureheads that are back up for the president. There's a very real possibility, hopefully it doesn't happen, but there's a very real possibility that either one of these people may end up uh, filling the shoes and becoming president um, if something were to happen. So this one was something that I think garnered our focus to to look at. So we had Kamala Harris, of course, facing off with um, Vice President Pence. And Vice President Pence had a dominating performance in this debate, uh, hands down. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of arguments in the first presidential debate over who won 
both candidates got in the weeds and got in the dirt. Um, Trump did a lot of bad things and interrupted things, um, but policy-wise, it's a it was a tough decision. The first presidential debate was both of them lost, right? It didn't seem like either one of them won. But in this one, you definitely can look down the line and see that it was a Pence victory through and through. And let's start off with some of the, the beginning topics. First of all, this was a debate done by uh, moderated by Susan Page um, from USA Today. She did an excellent job, I think, as a moderator. She had a few mistakes uh, that I'll bring up here. But overall, as far as moderating goes, she did uh, a really good job. I think uh, she handled it way better than Chris Matthews did. Um, for Not Chris Matthews, I'm sorry. Chris, Chris Wallace, um, not Chris Matthews, uh, did as far as the uh, first debate goes. Um, and she kept herself out of the debate and did not become the center of attention, which I think was very important in this debate uh, to let it run its course. She let both candidates talk. She let them get off subject. She let them get off topic. And she let them debate with each other. And I think most the, the big firecracker moments in this debate really were when the candidates were had open conversation, open debate with each other, and not necessarily when a question was asked by the moderator, which I think was a good thing. I think it's positive. I think it shows that the moderator did what they were supposed to do. They kept things civil, and they stepped out of it. And it was kind of a, a breath of fresh air to see two candidates actually debate without completely tearing each other apart on stage. Um, they were both very polite to each other, and the even when they jabbed at each other, it was appropriate. So it was a good debate. So uh, it started off in the opening. They brought up uh, COVID-19 and the coronavirus pandemic. And, uh, of course, Harris went with the uh, regular uh, line of attack, it seems, on this. There was no federal plan for anything and um, that, you know, they weren't prepared and all these things. And Pence fired back on every one of those attacks. That That is a really has become, at this point, a non-starter as, as far as my opinion goes. When you tell me that there was no federal plan for this, and that there's no national effort towards this. Um, I think that was pretty ridiculous uh, of an attack. And I think it's gotten to the point that no one really, if you believe that, then you you have forgotten what had happened over this entire event. And that's understandable. People forget. People don't have a long-term outlook on things. They, they have short-term memory. And so they forget things uh, like... What uh, you know? What actually happened at the beginning months of this? Uh, they forget how much confusion there was when all of this started to go down um, in January and into February. Uh, people, you know, forget that we we didn't start locking down till March uh, when all this stuff happened. There was there was a lot of confusion on exactly how bad this was going to be. A lot of efforts not to do that, and not from the not from the Trump administration. The Trump administration pretty much immediately went into action trying to do things. Uh, that Pence brought that up with the travel ban and locking down uh, travel from China and then from Europe, all at times when they the Democrats were beating up Trump for that, calling him racist over it. Now, that was something that was, was said in the debate. And interestingly enough, it was fact-checked uh, after this debate by different sources who said that, oh, uh, you know, Biden never called this xenophobic or racist or anything. Like that. And that's nonsense. He did. Um, he, he didn't explicitly say Trump is a racist for doing the, doing the travel ban. That wasn't explicitly said in any of his responses. But his responses came right after the travel ban was announced, uh, to lo- the lockdown of, of travel was announced, and in response 
to it. Uh, there was a tweet that was done by the president where the president talked about how this came from China and we're locking down. And then the immediate response to that tweet from Joe Biden talked about being xenophobic and being racist and that Trump had a history of doing that. So uh, uh, you might want to, anyone can misconstrue that or try to construe that differently and say that, oh, they weren't saying the, you know, Biden wasn't saying that the lockdown was racist or that the travel ban was racist. He was saying that Trump was just generally racist. That that's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous statement. Anyone who was there, uh, we all watched it happen. We heard the responses. We saw Nancy Pelosi in Chinatown telling people to come on down and enjoy themselves while this thing's ravishing uh, everybody. All that was seen. Uh, those You can't go back. You, you may not remember it. People may not want to conveniently forget it. But there was one group of people saying that everything was fine. There was another group of people saying we needed to do something about this and take precautions. And... That was the Trump administration saying we need to take precautions. Now, did they take the appropriate precautions? Did they do everything the right way? That is yet to be completely determined. There was a lot of confusion in the beginning of all of this. And so there's a lot of blame that's easy to put on now when you Monday morning quarterback things and say, hey, you could have did this, you could have did that. There's an old saying, hindsight is twenty twenty, of course. And so... It's easy to go back and say, you should have did this, you should have did that. But at the time, with the information they had, it's a, I, I believe that the Trump administration did uh, what they could do, and they took the appropriate approach. Plus, this national uh, attack, this, uh, this philosophy that we should have a, have a national plan to address coronavirus, I take issue with that. When the Trump administration approached the coronavirus and our response to it, they leaned very heavily on local governments and local government response to the coronavirus and, and, and state governments and allowing them out of control. We do have a thing called federalism in this country where states do have the power and the federal government doesn't have all the power. So there are some things the government can't do. So these ideas of national mask mandates and things like that, they're unconstitutional. They can't be done. But yet they're, they're spewed by people like Kamala Harris in this debate like as if it's a it's the silver bullet that will solve all the problems. So it's just ridiculous to think that way. So I think Pence did a good job of combating what she had said. Uh, he highlighted that travel ban. Now uh, Harris didn't say this, but she could have. And it's been widely reported, of course, that the travel ban, although it was it was good, and it was needed. It didn't stop every person from coming from China. Um, and allowed American citizens to return. And the, the Trump administration has been um, criticized for that. But these are American citizens. You can't block American citizens from the country. That's uh, one of the uh, you know, benefits of being an American citizen. We live in a free country where the government doesn't just block people from moving around. We have freedom of movement in this country, and that includes coming in from another country uh, when there's a pandemic going on, right? Uh, if we left Americans in China and refused to allow American citizens to come back to this country and you know, thousands of them died in China, that would be an absolute atrocity to allow to happen. And they would be beating up Trump for that in the media if that was to occur. So put in perspective, it was the right thing to do. It was a bad attack line by Harris. She got owned by Mike Pence for it. Um, moving on from that, uh, the next couple of things uh, that were brought up. Oh, oh, one more thing on the coronavirus thing too before I move on to the next topic that was given in the debate. Harris had a weird attack about saying, you know, whether people remember having to go get toilet paper and things like that. And that was, I found that interesting. I don't know if that was her way of trying to 
uh, uh, seem like she's one of the people and that she experienced it. I strongly doubt she had trouble finding any kind of toilet paper. Um, but she used that as kind of an attack line. And I love Trump. I uh, love uh, Pence's response to that, which was that he gives the American people credit, right? That uh, they were looking at 2.2 project, 2.2 million projected deaths. And, they did what they had to do, and he gives the American people credit for taking on the responsibility and doing things themselves. I thought that was a very good response by him. He kept focused on the American people, got away from stupid little things, and really things like the toilet paper thing, which I thought was a was kind of an insult to the American people. That that's what they're most concerned with, and not concerned with, you know, what their safety is and uh, the safety of the country. So that was a good um, a, a good comeback by Pence. So moving on from there. Uh, there was an, a question that came up. The next kind of a next a big topic that came up was that it had to do with para, uh, presidential disability and whether the uh, vice president, either one of them, were ready to take over or, or whether they had a discussion rather with uh, the president or with uh, you know with Harris and Biden about whether what would happen if they weren't fit for office or something occur. Both of them avoided this question. Not a surprise. Um, after all, these are. What makes this a little different than the presidential debate is you have two very experienced politicians who are very polished and know how to debate, especially Pence. And they avoid questions they don't want to answer. They change topics to things they do want to discuss, and they kind of steer the debate in the direction they want to steer it. Um, So Pence avoided it. He didn't give an answer. Harris also avoided it completely um, that – she would she wouldn't give an answer she went on this whole uh, kind of description of herself and her history and who she was and how she was the second uh the second african-american female senator in the in the u.s senate and uh, things like that so she was bringing up her kind of just her accolades as a response to that which didn't make any sense it wasn't uh, what the, the subject was about but um i'll hit pence on it too because pence didn't answer it at all and and pence could have used it as an attack line on biden and his cognitive abilities declining and things like that and his age and pence didn't i I don't know if that was planned or not planned but it definitely seemed like pence took the high road in that and didn't take the low-hanging fruit and do the attack so that I, i found that interesting as well then they moved on to talking about the president's taxes and, of course, the story that came out of the New York Times that the president always paid $750 in taxes. Uh, of, you know, Kamala Harris did her, or Kamala Harris did her typical uh, laugh, laugh, laugh. I thought it was 750000 It's really 750 You couldn't believe it. Uh, that's her, her line. She's done that in a, a couple different speeches that she's given so far in interviews she's given. Um, she, she thinks she's getting a lot of traction with that. Um, I think it's just irrelevant. Uh, whether you believe the article or not, it's clear that the president is a businessman and his businesses is taxed. And so as a businessman, you are taxed on all sorts of different things. You don't necessarily just pay income tax um, to the federal government. You pay other taxes. And there's previous reports, one by the New York Times from previous years, talking about the millions of dollars that President Trump had spent in taxes. I think one, one, one year was $27 million. And they had brought that up as an issue with how much money he makes. So you can't have it both ways, New York Times. You can't go up there and accuse the president of not paying any taxes and then in a previous article say he paid all this other money in taxes. So it doesn't really make sense. And Pence uh, exploited that. He said that, you know, Trump has already said that those are not true. And, and basically he wiped it off. And then the debt thing was brought up. 
uh, and I, he he rightfully pointed out, Pence did, that this president's a businessman and businesses take on debt. And we don't normally elect businessmen who are billionaire businessmen. We elect politicians, and politicians usually aren't four hundred million dollars in debt, um, or at least hopefully they aren't four hundred million dollars in debt. But the president is a different kind of animal. He's got businesses that are in debt, so it's not necessarily like him himself owes this. Although I think the article did allude to the fact that he uh, he took on this debt himself, or he insured it himself. Um, but uh, either way, he's a businessman, and that makes it different. That was a good a good response by Pence. It eliminated the issue. There was no further talking about it after that. Um, basically, you know, it left Harris in a position where if she kept arguing it, what's she going to say? That people who are in debt are bad people? I mean, how can you say that, right? Uh, you look at both parties' voter base, and you're going to say that, hey, if you're in debt, which is, uh, what, 85% or 90% of the American people are in debt in some capacity, that you're a bad person because you took on debt. So that just, uh, that, that attack stopped as soon as Pence responded to it, and I thought that was pretty good. They... Both talked about uh, or the, the raising taxes was brought up, and uh, of course Harris pulled the line that there was no, no, they're not going to raise taxes for anyone under four, anyone making under four hundred thousand dollars. And Pence fired back, "Well, you're, you know, Biden has said he's going to repeal the Trump tax cuts. That's an automatic tax increase, automatic. So it's a lie, a flat out lie to say that your taxes won't go up under a Biden presidency. Biden has said he will roll back." Um, if not all, but parts of the Trump tax cuts, and that will increase your taxes. It's a guarantee. So, and that means for people under four hundred thousand dollars, it's not just going to be people making over four hundred thousand dollars. That is this pie in the sky uh, Democrat talking point that never happens. It's always the guy up there is going to pay, and you're going to benefit. It's ne- that's never the case. It's always increased taxes across the board. That's how it is. So Pence eliminated that. He did a good job. Um, going back, they brought up China. I, I won't get too much into the China thing. Um, Pence, uh, the one thing I will say about the China thing is Pence is too nice. Uh, Mike Pence is is too nice when it came to China. The reality is the whole economic discussion about China, the Trump administration has a record. Whether that record is completely um, fulfilled as in the accusation that we still have a trade deficit, we don't have um, a very good situation with China right now, we do have a, tra- a trade deal that was going through right before COVID-19 hit and before the pandemic pandemic occurred. And those the trade deal was to bring fruits in. This is still a young thing that hasn't completely come to fruition. So it's not really something that can be debated at this point because you're you're debating apples and oranges. You're debating something that was previous and something new that hasn't really gone into effect and it helped us. So uh, I'd stay with the China thing on that. Um, and Mike Pence didn't bring up Joe Biden's kids or son, I should say, just one son, not Bo, but Hunter and Hunter's situation in China and other places where it's a conflict of interest at the very, very least. It's criminal at the most. And that was that, you know, Biden used his office to uh, enrich his family. Uh, there's a lot of evidence coming out that that is the case, that that's what happened. And Biden has avoided it, uh, rightfully so. Who would want to talk about that? So he has avoided that completely. Um, but Mike Pence didn't bring it up. Again, took the high road. Um, it almost feels like a Michelle Obama speech going in this uh, in this um, debate. But uh, he took the high road on that, didn't go low in attack for that. 
that was nice of them to do, but that was basically the end of the China thing. There was some stuff. There was talk about the recession and jobs. Um, the recession is man-made. You know, the pandemic hit here. We shut down our economy. That's what caused the recession. As the economy reopens, jobs will come back. They're already coming back in record numbers. Uh, the stock market's going up. Uh, you know, things are changing. You know, Democrats want to paint a picture. Kamala Harris tried to paint a picture that this is, you know, doom and gloom. It, it, her her attack and her arguments really did mirror the DNC, and that was that every attack was doom, gloom, you know, it's all over for you. Uh, they brought up health care, and, you know, she literally said, they're coming for you. Like, pointed to the TV, they're coming for you, right? If you're under 26, they're coming for you. You know, if you if you have pre-existing conditions, they're coming for you. All just, all because they want to get rid of Obamacare and put a better system in place. Now, I do agree, they should have a plan written by now. I have ridiculed Republicans in the past for that, that they didn't have a plan ready to go. But that's a story for another day. The reality is no one's coming for you. That is there to scare people into reacting and getting emotional or something, uh, which is is nonsensical in my opinion. Um, so on jobs, the jobs will come back. She had this bizarre approach on manufacturing jobs going away. Uh, the reality is a lot of these manufacturing jobs are coming back. Uh, she talked about people worried about paying their rent. There is real concerns about people paying their rent and getting uh, you know getting through this financial trouble. And we're going to talk about that uh, later on in the podcast in a few minutes. I'll, I'll get to that and, and talk about it. Um, they talk about the trade war, of course, China, all that stuff. I, I'm going to skip all that. And then uh, we go on to foreign policy. Uh, foreign policy, Harris pulled the, line, the normal line. We didn't stand with our allies. Uh, and, you know, Trump is bashing our allies and embracing our enemies and things like that, which is not really true. Um, Trump has been very tough on our allies. Pence had a good response to this. We do stand with our allies, but we do expect more from them. And Trump has gotten that more than any other president has. We haven't simply just sat back and let other countries just benefit from the United States and not have to put the work in themselves. We have asked them to contribute more. They have contributed more. That is a success. No mention of Middle East uh, success. The only mention of Middle East was moving the capital uh, or moving our embassy to the capital, Jerusalem and Israel, which was a huge success, in my opinion, and a promise kept that other administrations promised for years and never did. Uh, that was a, a go one, but no mention of the historic peace deals that are brokered by the uh, Trump administration in the Middle East uh, that he should be, um, you know, I would think he'd be nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize for that. He should have been. Um, and uh, that was just overlooked. I think that was a miss by Pence. He could have brought that up. He didn't. And, uh, you know, that was that was lost. Uh, as for the the other the other topics that we get into. They, we got into a, a, a lot of the typical lies that are spread. Um, tr- uh, Harris's attacks really followed this throw, you know, throw the kitchen sink at Mike Pence about all the bad stuff Trump's done, and it's all the bad stuff that she's heard about from the media. She just regurgitated media talking points that many have been either proven false and been fact checked and not true, or are from anonymous sources that have uh, that can't be proven true or false. They're just hit pieces. Like she repeated the Atlantic hit piece of how Trump called troops uh, losers and suckers in France, and 
Trump has, of course, denied that. And Mike Pence masterfully destroyed her on this. She got emotional. She, she, uh, I say, I wrote down on my notes, feigned emotion. Uh, she acted like she was so upset over this that Trump said these things that she read in the Atlantic article that are have been, you know, 24 different people from the Trump administration have come out and said that this isn't true, including people like John Bolton, who have an axe to grind against the president. And, you know, if there was really something there, he would have said it. Uh, so it's been completely, you know, been proven, not proven, but as, as close to it as you can get to be fake. And she feigned emotion, bringing it up, and Pence just stopped her in her tracks. He turned to the camera and he said, my son is a captain of the United States Marine Corps. My other son is, a, is in the Navy, out deployed, and that shut her down. I mean, he, he is close to the president every day. He knows the president. The president discusses things with him on a, a daily basis. He, the president knows his kids. There's for a fact, you know, if he says the president doesn't say that and the president thinks a certain way, he's more of a source on this than any news article you'd read from The Atlantic, which is basically just a Democrat-run uh, art, uh, newspaper, not newspaper, but website, um, publication, I should say. So completely ridiculous. It got shut down uh, by Pence right away. He did a great job with that. Then they switched over to the Supreme Court nominee. And this is where I really want to bring this up because this is – this was the kill shot. This was the kill shot. Um, other than the fact that the fly landed on Pence's head, <laughs> this was the biggest moment, I think, in the debate. And this was when they bring up the Supreme Court. Uh, they were talking about, of course, Amy Coney Barrett, and she will get approved by the U.S. Senate. And Pence r really, I mean, he took it the question and he turned it on uh, Harris. He transitioned into this, and he became the the questioner at this event. And and this, I I give credit to Susan Page for this because when she asked these questions about Supreme Court, Pence really kind of turned it into his own question and took it over. It was not a question that Susan Page asked, and she allowed it to happen. She didn't stop it, and I think that was a good thing because we allow it made for the best moment in the debate, and it also was real a, a true question and answer and debate moment. And that's when Pence asked directly whether uh, they would pack the court, whether the Biden administration, if, if elected, would move to packing the court, meaning adding seats to the Supreme Court. And the response by Harris wasn't a response. She didn't answer the question. And she avoided answering it, went on talking about other things. She... Um, brought up the amount of time that it uh, took to approve a, a, a Supreme Court justice, and she brought up Lincoln, and, oh, Lincoln didn't um, approve, uh, you know, didn't nominate a Supreme Court justice in an election year. Uh, that's kind of the last time a president didn't nominate a justice in an election year, and she was, she was right on that. 1864, election of 1864, uh, Abraham Lincoln did not nominate a Supreme Court justice when a vacancy opened, uh, I think it was 27 days before the election. He waited till after the election. Now, there was a lot going on. There was a civil war being fought, other things. And he already had the person picked out he wanted to go on the court. Um, but he didn't nominate him. He waited till the election happened. As soon as he got reelected, he moved towards nominating that person. What Harris left out of that little history lesson 
um, that she was so excited to give because it was her one little piece or a little arrow in the quiver that she thought she had against the Trump administration on this. Um, what she fails to mention is after the election, when uh, Abraham Lincoln won re-election, the, the, the Supreme Court justice are talking about is a guy named uh, Salmon P. Chase. And Salmon P. Chase was uh, the, one of the founders of the Republican Party, had worked in the uh, administration already of President Lincoln, and was a close confidant. It was Secretary of Treasury under under Abraham Lincoln. And what she fails to mention in it is, I believe it was December, that after the election that he nominates him. But Salmon P. Chase was uh, confirmed in one day. There was no big hearings there was no long, drawn-out process taking months to get approved, um, which is what the, the Democrats want with their with this nominee. It was one day, 24 hours. He was nominated. Boom. The vote was done. There wasn't even a hearing uh, by the Judicial uh, Committee in the Senate. It was bam, 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 finished. Right? The Senate just automatically approved him, and it was over, and he was done. So bad example if you're trying to compare Abraham Lincoln's administration to uh, the Trump administration as far as the uh, Supreme Court nominees. Yes, he did wait, but he also appointed five Supreme Court justices in his first term in office. So it's really a bad comparison to say Abraham Lincoln pushed a no- you know or did not push a nominee through and waited because he was so concerned about the election. There's really no record to show that he was so concerned about the election. And whether he was going to be president or not, obviously he was concerned about being president. But I think having already appointed four Supreme Court justices in his term and having a war to fight and win during the election year, uh, it wasn't the top thing on his list of things to push through uh, before the election. There were other things going on, like prosecuting a war that you're trying to win and you know the siege of richmond that was going on in 1864 so um i don't really buy that whole argument and you know obviously uh kamala harris is not a uh, connoisseur of history uh she would have maybe done her research a little bit on that and not use that as such a great argument but this is where pence dismantled her and it was when pence asked her if they would pack the court and her response was no response. And Pence pointed out, hey, she said she wasn't going to pack, or she didn't answer the question. She wouldn't answer whether she would pack the court or not. Uh, and Harris did like the ultimate sin in debate, and she brought the question back as if, like, I will answer it, right? Like, you can't say I didn't answer it. I'm going to answer it. And she gets the question back and doesn't answer it a second time. You don't ask to answer equal time and answer the question again and then don't answer it. Instead, she brings up the fact that President Trump hasn't uh, nominated an African-American justice for any of the federal justice uh, positions that had, have been open as, and pulled the race card. As in, you know, that's that means something, which it really doesn't mean anything. All right. He's appointing justices. So, uh, Sure. But that wasn't an answer to the question unpacking the court. It was a complete avoidance of answering. So she avoided the question twice, even saying, I'm going to answer this. And then she didn't answer it and said, chose to pull a racial note out as, as her response, which I thought was very telling of what has been going on with this entire, uh, the events that have unfolded here, where the race card is constantly pulled out. 
you know, the Trump administration's constantly being called racist and being called white supremacist when they denounce it constantly. He's denounced it more than any other president in U.S. history. No president in American history has denounced white supremacy and racism as, as much as President Trump has. That is a fact. There's not a single president in American history that has said and denounced white supremacy and racism more than President Trump. He's done it more than anyone else. Yet it's still being brought up as a constant topic of discussion by the media and by the Democrat Party because they think they're getting traction off of it. But I think people are getting tired of it. They're getting tired of false attacks. And I think people in the African-American community are being tired of being used as pawns in this in this game. And Kamala Harris tried to pull that race card fully uh, in the debate last night, and it didn't go anywhere. It dropped flat on its face, and that was the end of it, uh, right? Um, Pence brought up rightfully about the Charlottesville quote and about um, the uh, the other line of attack that was going. Let's see, the, the, the Charlottesville thing was a big one. And then, of course, um, the other repeated lies that have been brought up by Harris throughout the campaign, you know, trying to say that uh, that Trump is a racist. She brought Breonna Taylor and the questions around there. Um, so she really tried to play the race card hard towards the end of the debate. And I think a lot of that happened because she was losing the debate. After the court packing uh, debacle answer, she had lost the debate at that moment. So when that was over... She didn't have anything else left in the tank, and she resorted to talking about race, and she didn't get much uh, traction off of that. So then the um, the debate basically ends uh, with that. That was uh, basically the end of the debate. They you know said goodbye. Susan Page ended the debate, and it was all over. And I think uh, obviously Pence had a big win in there, and it was it was justly deserved, and he did a very very excellent job in the debate and proved Kamala Harris did not one. She wasn't prepared. It wasn't a good debater Two, She regurgitated lies and falsehoods that have been proven false. And that was almost every line of attack that she had in the debate. And you don't win debates doing that. And you especially don't win debates when you're asked directly a question, completely avoid it twice in a row. When you said you'd answer it, she got killed on that. That was the end of it. And, uh, she lost. It was interesting though, to see the fallout of this, the, the, um, analysis i should say of the debate i've been watching a couple of the news uh sources out there talking about how the debate went and almost all are in agreement that harris didn't do a very good job and that pence did do a very good job um even cnn brought that up and said it uh but what was funny is cnn fell back on the fact that she's a black woman and she can't say certain things because she's a black woman and i thought that pretty funny that they that's the argument that's being given that Pence won simply because she wasn't allowed to respond because of culture and society. I, I thought that was really crazy. If you want to hang uh, in politics and, and presidential politics, no matter what your race, no matter what your gender is, you need to be able to handle debates with people who think differently than you. And you, if you are holding things back for some weird reason uh, because you don't want to look a certain way, then maybe you're not fit for political office. At that point, and you're not fit for the vice presidency or the presidency at that point. If those, if that's the way you think, this isn't, you know, this is a contact sport. Be ready for it, you know, and you got to get hit sometimes. So I thought that was really an interesting response that uh, CNN, and that's not the only station. And NBC said something very similar to that as well. So those are the responses for him. So that's my debate analysis. Um, overall, good debate. It was nice to see them 
be fair with each other. Uh, you got to hear both sides' arguments. Um, I tried to dissect them uh, the best I can for you. I call winners, call balls and strikes, I call it as I see it, and uh, Pence was the big winner there. So, moving on to our next topic. In other news, Donald Trump was, uh, he contracted COVID, COVID-19, coronavirus. Now, as a coronavirus veteran, a COVID veteran, uh, a person who's had it myself, I take this very seriously when we talk about coronavirus. And Trump has beaten it. Uh, and all, all shows, all signs are showing that he's doing fine. Now, obviously, there's some things in this virus that can hit you in weird ways. Uh, but Trump did well on it. He beat it. And it looks like he's moving on from there. They are bringing up uh, you know, the next debate and whether it might happen or not. It doesn't look like it will because of the uh, scenario with the coronavirus and how they want to do it virtually. And how Trump doesn't want to do that. But I did find the media coverage of this and the coverage of many people uh, on social media and, and elsewhere was despicable. It was despicable. Someone contracted this virus. We, it, Our hopes and prayers are with anyone who contracts this virus uh, because you don't know how you're going to deal with it. Now, the vast majority of people who, could, who contract it are going to do fine. They're going to survive it. it there's, there are populations that don't do well with this virus. Trump is in that population that doesn't do well with this virus. So it was definitely a concern whenever the president is sick or possibly could be incapacitated. That is a concern. But the media... When he was released from Walter Reed with the yelling of, he, are you a super spreader, is what one reporter yelled out. Uh, because people in the White House, of course, have gotten the virus. I thought that was absolutely despicable thing to say. The reality is, most people don't know where they contract this virus. I didn't know who gave it to me. Uh, it could have been nobody. It could have been me touching something. It could have been the mask I was wearing that I constantly had to take off and on and off and on and do different things as I was going different places. Uh, it could have been that. Um, perhaps I didn't wear my mask correctly, which is 99% of people in America aren't doing. They're not wearing their mask correctly. And perhaps they could contract it that way. Um, maybe if President Trump wore a mask, he wouldn't have got it. We don't know. The reality is you don't know how you contract this. It's very hard to track it to a particular person or time or event. Now, it looks like the event might have been the Amy Coney Barrett um, uh, Rose Garden ceremony, but we don't know for a fact. We know people who are there contracted it. We don't know if that's a fact that that's where they caught it. We don't know if it was brought in from some outside source. You know, there were reporters who were there that were from outside. Perhaps one of them carried it in, right? Nobody knows who brought this in, and no one's trying to blame anybody except for the media and the Democrats on the left are the ones trying to blame the president for spreading it somehow, that he's the problem with all this. Uh, that, I found, was despicable. You shouldn't wish ill on anybody, especially a sitting president of the United States. Um, and people really showed their true character uh, when the president was put in this compromising situation. And it shows us really what you're voting against. What kind of country do you want? Do you want to give people who would wish death upon a person they don't agree with would you like to give them the reins of power in our republic to make decisions that would affect all of us? And I can unequivocally say, no, I would never give these people any kind of political power to yield over anyone. They are not worthy of it. The people who wish death upon other people, uh, who get sick from this disease, 
uh, don't have any business being involved in politics and decision making in the first place. Uh, so I had to say that after seeing the kind of despicable stuff I saw throughout the week um, with the as a as a coronavirus survivor, I couldn't fathom people saying that about me or me saying that about other people who contracted this virus. And so people's true colors did really show on social media and other places, especially um, in places on the left. Now, I, I will give Joe Biden the credit for being very civil about this and sending his hopes and prayers. Him and Kamala Harris, both of them took the high road on this, and I think they should be commended for that um, and not getting into the dirt and the mud like many others did uh, on their and from their political party and from their political spectrum. So I thought that had to go with what Well was saying. So... Other than that, the last thing I'm going to close out with is the stimulus package. This is very short. Um, the stimulus package has been put on hold. Uh, if you've listened to my podcast, you know I've spoke out many times against Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats for how they behaved in this negotiation process with the stimulus package. They have not been uh, negotiating in good faith. They have passed a $3.3 trillion bill that had no chance of ever passing. They knew that intentionally. That was their starting point for negotiations. They've dropped it down to $2.4 trillion, uh, which still is absolutely ridiculous and not needed. It's full of pet projects. They have consistently refused to negotiate with Nancy Pelosi going on vacation and cutting off negotiations halfway through and going on giving all sorts of statements that... Uh, don't make any sense to begin with. So the the fact that we're beating up President Trump over uh, not uh, or ending the negotiations rather than continuing them, I think is ill-founded. I, I don't think it was a politically good move for him to do at the time he did it. I think that uh, politically it looks bad. Obviously, people are going to exploit it. The Democrats are going to exploit it. Nancy Pelosi already came out today, gave a press conference where she appeared to throw President Trump under the bus that they won't negotiate, uh, which is kind of ironic because the reality is the Democrats in this situation, led by Pelosi, really were doing everything they could to not negotiate this deal before the election. Uh, they wanted it to drag on. They wanted to use it as an albatross around uh, President Trump's neck, and they weren't negotiating in good faith. So uh, in negotiations, you have to be willing to walk away. I feel like that's what the Trump administration is doing here. Um, of course, communication with the Trump administration is always difficult. Uh, sometimes don't come out the way that I don't. I think they intended them to come out. But you have to be willing to walk away in some negotiations in order to get the best deal for the American people. And that is what I believe the president is trying to do. Uh, but time will tell on that. So uh, that is everything I have for you that's going on in politics today. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, of course, uh, you can contact me at politicstodayjro at gmail.com. You can download this podcast or listen to it at Spotify, uh, Politics Today. Uh, you can also get it at, um, not from Spotify, but I'm also on iHeartRadio and also uh, located on Apple Podcasts. So feel free to download, subscribe, and give me your feedback. Uh, you can contact me on Facebook at Politics Today. Uh, look it up, search it up, and contact me. I'd love to hear what you guys think. I'd love to hear uh, your ideas, your thoughts, uh, and maybe one day we'll do an open line uh, Politics Today episode, waiting to do one of those. Um, so I appreciate you guys listening. Again, my name is James O'Hara. This is Politics Today. Have a wonderful rest of your week.